tuning into the 324th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York. As always, uh, going to have a great show for all you guys today. Going to have Cameron De Silva on, managing editor for the Rams Wire. Uh, this is an interview as I've been having these little NFL conversations with all these different reporters and people who are involved with the league. Uh, we talk about the Rams, obviously. We get into Jared Goff, what kind of went into Sean McVay getting tired of Jared Goff in L.A. with the Rams. Sean McVay being an offensive mind. Brandon Staley, uh, guys like that coming from the Sean McVay coaching tree, Matthew Stafford, how Sean McVay's kind of in love with Stafford. Also, the Rams not playing players in the preseason. Uh, we talked about Ramsey, Peters, uh, Aqib Tlaib, three outspoken, loud, brash, exciting corners that all played the Rams. So a lot of good conversation with Cameron. And again, uh, I want to thank Cameron for coming on the pod. Now, also, uh, before we get to that conversation, I'm going to give a little, one of my little monologues that Kenny Sim, scouting expert of 247 Sports, always loves that I do. Uh, but before we get into that monologue, it's going to be about boxing. For those of you who don't know, Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley just happened. Just got done watching that fight as we're recording this almost at 1 p.m. Eastern. Yikes, we're kind of up a little late, a little later than usual. Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but before we get to any of that, shameless plug time. First time listening to the pod, thank you. Subscribe and follow right now. Also share this podcast with your friends and family. Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Daryl Lane. Follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lane. Didn't get that? I'll say it one more time for you. At NightTrain underscore Lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me a great comment and a five-star review. And for some odd reason... If you don't like my podcast, right, then take a page what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And please check below in the descriptions so you can see the timestamps. And on Spotify, you can click on the timestamps and it will go to the part of the podcast you specifically want to listen to. So now, Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley. So Jake Paul ends up winning the fight. Uh, really thought it was interesting. Jake Paul. Ty, I'll start with Tyrone. Tyrone, first of all, is 39. Jake Paul is, what, 24? Tyrone looked like a Greek god, an Adonis, a physical specimen, a freak. The twitchiness, the quickness, the explosiveness, the power. And Jake Paul kind of looked a little chubby, out of shape, and slow. Jake Paul was out of shape, in my opinion. Tyrone Woodley was in great shape. Here's the one thing that I want to say as I'm watching this fight. So, Jake Paul, he's an undefeated boxer. He was... 3-0 or 4-0, I believe. Uh, he's still on the feet. He's like 4-5-0 now. Tyrone Woodley, former UFC champion. Neither of them can really box. If they were facing a real credible boxer, somebody who's done it, who's been part of the discipline for years, they would have got put up out there. Uh, they would have got put up out of there. Simply. Put up out of there. Knocked out. Uh, Tyrone 
couldn't take advantage of the fact that Jake was tired. And Jake, when it got to the later rounds, it looked a little ugly. Now, Jake figured it out. Jake figured it out. And he figured it out because, and this is credit to Jake. And this is credit to Jake. Uh, being able to be solid. It's like when, when, you, when you have to dig in deep. You have to dig in deep. Jake found a way to dig in deep. But uh, the movements that Jake was going, and I'm not a boxing expert, but it just it just didn't look good. Uh, I think that he also, the power on his punches, Tyrone Woodley was walking through a lot of Jake Paul's punches. Jake couldn't hurt Tyrone. Uh, the shape was was very eye-popping, though, looking at both those guys with their shirts off. And I think if Tyrone got another chance to uh, box Jake again, uh, Tyrone might win. But I also do want to say this in terms of us talking about Jake potentially being the biggest prize fighter in the world. That's something that he said. He said that he's wanted to fight guys like Canelo Alvarez, who I believe is number one pound for pound right now in all of boxing worldwide. Jake has a long way to go. Jake will probably never reach that level. Jake is barely better than Tyrone Woodley, a super athletic freak of nature who did a cross discipline. He's an MMA fighter. He's a wrestler turned MMA fighter, not really a boxer. Uh, has power. He's tough, physical, good athlete, can learn things on the fly, but not a true boxer. And Jake barely beat him. And Jake just beat him with savvy, uh, kind of the muscle memory because he's been doing it longer than Tyrone. But it was ugly, and Jake got it out. But Tyrone wasn't very good. He wasn't very good. If Jake fights somebody credible, they're going to put him up out of there. Tyrone. If he fights somebody good, they're going to put him up out of there. Neither of them are real boxers. They're both two names, two draws, and we watched. I think that's also important to remember and understand people paid a big event around two guys who aren't good boxers that might be where the sport's going that might be where combat sports is going maybe that is the way maybe it's not these big super fights maybe it's the Floyds versus Logan Pauls the Jake Pauls versus Tyrone Woodleys the Jake Pauls versus Ben Askren right maybe it's those type of fights that are going to sell now but those are a couple of takeaways for me uh, congratulations to Jake Paul. He did it in Cleveland. Uh, I went to school there, so know a lot of people there. I, I know it's you know great to see your hometown guy come back. He's from uh, Lakewood, I believe, which is like right downtown in Cleveland, like 20 minutes away from John Carroll, where I went to college. So uh, congratulations to Jake Paul. Uh, it will be interesting to see who his next fight is. I think it will be very interesting. Now. I'm going to get to this on the NFL side. Uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about this. Uh, what every coach in the NFL is saying to their team before the season starts, right? What are they saying? Are they like, we can win a Super Bowl. We can compete. We're just getting better. What's the message? And I, I put this in tears. So, so here's the tears. The coaches that are saying, hey, guys, we can win a Super Bowl. Then there's the tier that are like, hey, guys. We can get into the playoffs and make a run. And then there, there are teams that are like, let's get better and let's try to make the playoffs. Then there are teams that are like, we're rebuilding, we're playing young guys, we're just trying to improve. Playoffs isn't even on our radar, that's not our goal. And these can all differ from the coach, 
his age, his lifespan with the team, the quarterback on the roster, uh, the construction of the division. So all this stuff varies. So here is Tier 1, the Super Bowl contenders. The coaches, these coaches are coming to the preseason when they write up on the board, right? They say, our goal is to play in the big game. We're playing in the Super Bowl. We're going to be one of the last teams standing. We're going to be in a championship game. That's the goal. That's the expectation. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Green Bay Packers, San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, Los Angeles Rams, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, Cleveland Browns, the Tennessee Titans, and the Baltimore Ravens. So I have 10 teams that I think their coaches, they can realistically come up, organization down. Our goal is to win the Super Bowl this year. I have 10 teams. And then there's the next year. And now these coaches are like, we're going to get better every day. We're going to work hard. We're going to get into the playoffs, and we're going to make a run. Anything can happen when you're in the tournament. Those type of teams. And those are the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Miami Dolphins, the New England Patriots, the Indianapolis Colts, the New Orleans Saints, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington football team, and the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders were a tough one because the Raiders just haven't been good, but I also think because of John Gruden, he signed a 10-year deal. I think there's been a lot of hype and hoopla around Gruden. Obviously, Derek Carr's kind of on the hot seat still. So I think they're in the mix between let's have fun and try to make the playoffs. This is the next tier of teams I'm going to go get to next in this tier of let's get into the playoffs and make a run. I think John Gruden's telling, telling his team, hey, let's get into the playoffs. Anything can happen, right? Uh, next up, let's have fun. Let's get better. Let's try to make the playoffs. This is my third tier. Now, this tier has the Chicago Bears, Los Angeles Chargers, Denver Broncos, Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, and the New York Football Giants. Now, what all these teams have in common right here is young quarterbacks, young coaches uh, trying to build a program. Don't mind it if they make it to the playoffs, but I don't know if that's necessarily their goal. Their goal is still player development to establish a culture to keep getting better while trying to make the playoffs. But none of these coaches are getting fired if they're not making the playoffs. None of these organizations, it's like, oh, it's a big deal if they don't make the playoffs. It's to get better, and maybe that evolution of getting better ends up taking them to the playoffs. These are teams that could maybe be surprise teams, as I say, that they're like, oh, they made the playoffs. We didn't quite think they were that good, but maybe they're a year ahead of schedule. And then lastly, here are the teams that have no shot of making the playoffs. Uh, the last tier, they're rebuilding. These are the teams that are the quote-unquote tank teams. Uh, they're going to lose a lot of regular season football to games. They're here to play young players uh, and to collect assets and to just get better in player development. That's all. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Jets, Houston Texans, Detroit Lions, and Cincinnati Bengals. And those are my tiers of teams. Uh, interesting, right? Because every year before the season starts, I think a coach comes up and they outline the plan, what they expect. And obviously everybody says they want to win a Super Bowl. They want to get to a championship game. They want to win the division. But not all of that is realistic. You can't tell me that uh, David Cully in Houston saying Super Bowl or bust. Like maybe they're saying that in Andy in the Kansas City Chiefs locker room with Andy Reid, right? Right. Different 
conversation, uh, different memo, different battle cry, different expectation, different standard. Uh, so I always think that's important as the NFL season is going to be getting underway. Starting the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start having Kenny Sim on for these pods on Sunday night, and I can't wait for that as well. Now, cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Cameron De Silva, managing editor for the Rams Wire. Like I said, cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. With Barbershop Sports Talk, we have a very special guest with us, Cameron De Silva, managing editor for the Rams Wire. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. So the first thing I got to ask you is, so Sony Michelle, he's going to the Rams. How does this impact the Rams' offense? Yeah, so I don't think it's going to be a huge, uh, a huge impact on their offense. Really, more it's about uh, giving Daryl Henderson. Kind of someone who can take uh, take some of the work off of his shoulders as lead running back. The Rams might not have felt completely comfortable with with Xavier Jones and Jake Funk handling that backup role, uh, especially with Raymond Clay going down with a, a fractured foot in the preseason game on Saturday. Um, so by adding Michelle, they get some more depth, some proven talent at running back, and uh, it, it should help keep Daryl Henderson fresh, which is something that Sean McVay has talked about a bunch. So now I want to go to this. So Matthew Stafford, they make a trade for Matthew Stafford the offseason. Obviously, they get rid of golf. They move all these picks around. What were your initial thoughts as this is kind of materializing? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a good move. Um, obviously, a big risk with trading away two first-round picks for, uh, what, a 33-year-old quarterback. But uh, Stafford is a guy who probably hasn't gotten as much credit as he should for the way that he's played over the years on pretty bad Detroit Lions teams and now he goes to a team with a really good head coach uh, an offensive line that's probably better than what he had in Detroit a defense that could rate top five so he has everything uh, working around him now to really put together a successful season and, and probably the best season of his career do you think, when do you think it was kind of established? Because the way the season ended for the Rams last year with the whole Jared Goff thing, the back quarterback had to come in in the one wild card game. Uh, even now it ended with the you know divisional round against the Packers. Well, was that kind of like, okay, this is kind of the, the end of the Jared Goff era? Yeah, that's what it seemed like when uh, Les Snead had a press conference after the season ended and he wouldn't commit to Goff being the quarterback next season, which is this season, of course. Um, Sean McVay said the same thing. They say he's the quarterback right now. And that kind of set off some alarms that maybe this connection with the Rams and Jared Goff isn't going to last as long as we thought. Um, So I I think Sean McVay realized that the offense had gone as far as it could with Goff uh, as the quarterback. And he felt it was necessary to make a change. And um, playing John Walford for that one in a quarter game or whatever it was, really showed that he can open up the offense a little bit and uh, use 
some different things that Jared Goff couldn't do. And um, I don't know if it was necessarily a, a situation of feeling that the grass was going to be greener on the other side, but um, just seeing what he could do with Wolford and what Jared Goff is holding them back from doing, I, I think he felt it was necessary to make a change. Because that was interesting, too, because... You know, you know, there's all this talking to is Jared Goff going to start for the game? Game. He ends up suiting up like he's the backup, and I, I would. He ended up having to come in anyway because of what happened to Walford. But you would assume then, like, then if that's the case, like if you're doing this, he's have another quarterback. Like Tom Brady's playing. Like he's not going to. Like you know, what I mean, all these other guys. So I thought that was kind of thing that kind of threw me off. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I felt the same way. I felt that if Jared was healthy enough to suit up and play, he should have been the starting quarterback, which led me to believe that. It was McVay who wanted to give Wolford a chance and see what he could do. and um, Maybe it was a little bit of giving Jared Goff another week to heal, but, I mean, it, like you said, if it's Tom Brady, if it's Patrick Mahomes, if it's Aaron Rodgers, the Packers and the Buccaneers and Chiefs are not giving their backup that first crack at, at playing in the game over maybe an 80% healthy Aaron Rodgers or Brady or Mahomes. Yeah, just, it just, like, just imagine if Andy Reid's like, you know what, Patrick's hurt. He's going to be the backup for the playoff game, right, guys? He's going to be the backup. And we're going to have this everybody be like, huh? What? It's hard to fathom. <laughs> so, I, I, I think I want to go to this now. So, do you think they gave up too much for Stafford? And what do you think is the difference between Stafford and Goff? Like, is Stafford that much better than Jared Goff? Because I think people are going to be like, oh, you know, Matthew Stafford doesn't want anything. Jared Goff took the team to a Super Bowl. Yeah, they gave up a lot, but I don't think it was necessarily too much. Uh, that's the price you pay for a quarterback trading. I think part of the reason that they traded two first-round picks was to really entice the Lions to take on Jared Goff's contract because it was not exactly that favorable. Um, it's still an expensive contract for a quarterback who's probably average to below average right now. Um but I think where uh, Stafford separates himself from Goff is with his mental processing, um, just his, his ability to make plays off schedule when the play breaks down and he has to move around in the pocket and innovate pressure and um, not necessarily make plays with his legs running-wise, but just buying time and allowing receivers to get open. And that's not something Goff did much of with the Rams. Um, he, he wasn't a statue in the pocket, but... He wasn't a guy who was going to really make these eye-popping plays that Rodgers does and Mahomes does. And um, I think Stafford is more in the mold of them than he is Goff. And he can drop his, his arm slot and throw sidearm. He can throw no-look passes. He can, he's great on play action. And really, he threatens the deep part of the field, which, with, which Goff didn't. How has Stafford looked to you so far, as you've seen like, these practices training camp? He's looked good from everything I've seen. Um, I, I'm actually in Connecticut. I don't I don't go out to the practices out in California, but um, from the videos that I've seen and watching the joint practice with the Cowboys, he's, he's looked really good. Um, and just listening to what the players and coaches have been saying about him uh, with the way that he throws guys open, um, the way that he, he reads defenses and looks defenders off, and um, all the little intricacies and, and things that he does um, really – it, it, it separates himself from, from Jared Goff, and he's looked really good in, in training camp from what I've seen and in practice. Um, obviously, he's not playing in the preseason, but once that first week comes around against the Bears, I, I think we're going to see a really um, refreshed and, and good quarterback play from Stafford. Do you think, though, that's 
a bit of an indictment on golf because when you mention things, you know, like processing speed, you know, able to buy time. This was a guy who was drafted very high, Sean McVay, I think by most people, they regard, I mean, there's Kyle Shanahan in there too, but like one of the best offensive minds in football. Don't you think that's kind of an indictment on Jared Goff that he's the, the, that guy out of everybody's kind of like, and it's also to play in LA, like it's good weather conditions too. It's not like you're playing in Green Bay with, you know, the frozen tundra and it's awful conditions to play in. These are really good conditions to play football in. And the fact that he's just like, you know what? No. Like, you think that's a big indictment? on golf I do I do think it's yeah it's kind of a, a sign of, of where he is in his quarterback development he's watching him last season he's just making he's making mistakes that you see from first and second year quarterbacks not fifth year quarterbacks so um, those are things that McVay just got frustrated with uh, against the Dolphins he made way too many mistakes didn't play well against the 49ers um, just too many careless errors, not taking care of the football, not reading defenses properly. And it's not what you want to see from a $134 million quarterback who you just gave a huge contract and uh, drafted first overall, what, five years ago? So um, I think it's kind of a sign that maybe he's plateaued a little bit and isn't going to keep getting better. And the interesting thing about this that I think, too, is, you know, obviously McVeigh isn't the one who drafted golf. It was Fisher. Do you think McVeigh ever wanted golf? So initially, I, I questioned that about whether McVay would want to handpick his own quarterback, but um, he was a big part of signing Goff to that contract, and uh, the Rams don't do that if McVay is not sold on Goff as a quarterback. So I think that was just uh, a mistake in his evaluation of Goff, and um, not necessarily, you can't blame it on McVay, but uh, it's more about Goff not developing and continuing to get better. And, uh, he just didn't he, he didn't progress the way that the Rams expected him to and the way that McVay expected him to. But uh, when they gave him that contract, McVay was, was all in on him. When do you think McVay, I don't know because we talk about the the, the, the playoffs kind of like when everybody was tipped off, but when do you think it was kind of, because I think there was one game against the Dolphins too where he had like, he, he might have like five turnovers. It, it was kind of ugly. When were you kind of like, uh, is, is he going to be back? Because it always seemed, it kind of seemed like McVay, the press conferences were getting more disparaging. They weren't as, you know, hopeful. It was like, okay, maybe there is a problem here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that Dolphins game was a big one. Um, I think he threw a couple of interceptions, fumbled it a few times. Um, really just, the, the Dolphins dared him to beat them, and he really, he just couldn't. He couldn't read the defense. They were sending blitzers all over the place. The offensive line wasn't picking it up. Uh Goff wasn't getting his running backs aligned for their blitz pickups properly, and uh, he just he wasn't making the proper reads. So I think that was that was one of the games that really uh, frustrated McVay. The second 49ers game was another one. He had a couple of, of turnovers uh, in that one. So it, it really just came down to protecting the football, not making careless mistakes, and uh, and he he just didn't allow the offensive playmakers to. To win games for them, golf couldn't get the ball in their hands, and he was struggling to uh, to throw accurately. And, and I think that frustrated McVeigh. So McVeigh has complete control over what's going on. Yeah. Now, also, what I do want to ask you is, so golf is going to go to Detroit. And I think this is interesting because Detroit's not going to be a very good team. He's not going to have a guy like McVeigh doctoring all of these offensive plays. Uh, you know, they're probably clearly the fourth best team in that division, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think we can end up looking at golf and it's like, you know, golf becomes a backup like by next year? Because, you know, if they're bad and they draft, you know, a quarterback and golf's a backup. 
Yeah, exactly. He's going to be the starter this year, but beyond the season, you really don't know. Um, like you said, the Lions are not going to be a good team. They're going to be drafting early unless Goff miraculously somehow has an all-pro season and, and carries that offense, but they're not going to be a good team, and uh, there's going to be pressure on them to, to draft a quarterback early um, and really fix that offense and continue that rebuild because that's part of the reason Stafford wanted to get out. He knew they were not going to be a good team. He knew they were rebuilding, first-year head coach. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to, to take a quarterback early if they are drafting, say, in the top five. Um, especially with Dan Campbell wanting to possibly handpick his own quarterback rather than inheriting uh, Jared Goff the way that he did this year. Do you think people can consider Jared Goff's career in L.A. as a bust? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, he had a, a few good seasons in 2017 and 2018. Um, 2019 was a, that decline began, and then last season was uh, probably even worse than that. But uh, he took him to the playoffs three out of four times, helped lead him to the Super Bowl, and against the Saints in that NFC Championship game, he was, he, I mean, he didn't put up, um, he, he made some mistakes, but down the stretch, he made a few plays under pressure that really, really helped the Rams win that game. And I know it was helped by the, the phantom pass interference call, but um, it's just he, he made some plays in that game to where, he, I mean, he left his mark on that team and helped them get to the Super Bowl. You think it was, well, what do you think the relationship with Golf and McVay was at the end? I don't think it was great. Um, I think there was some tension there based on. Uh, reports that came out where McVay was getting more frustrated with Goff and calling him out in front of the team and uh, things like that. So I, I think McVay is um, he's a very upbeat guy and he's oh, typically positive, but you could just get the sense from his press conferences at the end of last year that he was getting frustrated and um, he even said at one point that the quarterback has to be better and that was really the first time that, that he publicly said something like that about Goff. So I think I think there was some tension down the stretch there. Now, can you kind of compare that to how juvial he's been about Matthew Stafford? He seems like a kid in a candy store every time he's talking about this guy. Oh, man, yeah. He's, he is excited about Stafford. And um, it's it's funny to see how uh, how pumped he is and talking about uh, just how talented Stafford is and how smart he is and how he commands the room. And um, He's not taking shots at Jared Goff, but the way that he's talking about Stafford and the things that he does, it's just... It shows that he, he finally has the quarterback that he feels he can uh, really win a Super Bowl with and that he can mold into um, in, into an all-pro and a, and a perennial pro bowler. I think the interesting thing is when you look at Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff, both number one picks, right? So Goff ends up going to a situation where he has McVay. He ends up having guys like Aaron Donald. He has a Todd Gurley. He has all this talent, uh, really good coaching, good stability. And then you see Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford, you know, I think everybody could agree he's a more talented football player. Uh, and he goes to a, a place in Detroit that, I mean, who, what have they been? I mean, Calvin, you see how they treated Calvin Johnson, just in one of the worst organizations in football. It doesn't get much worse. And you see two guys, and you see Jared Goff's able to go to Super Bowl, and Jared Goff's able to do certain things. Why? While it seems that Matthew Stafford's never able to get out of the cellar of his own division. You think that kind of speaks to, like, you know, how much just an organization is important in all this, and, like, just the players you play with? Uh, absolutely. It makes, it makes all the world of difference. Um, the coaching staff that you have, the front office that's in place, the talent around you. I mean, typically, 
when you're drafted first overall, you're not going to have much talent around you because there's a reason you're drafting at the top of the draft. I mean, you're 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 a bad you were a bad team the year before. Um, you're probably in a rebuild, and you're adding this young talent through the draft, and um, it, it's it's part of the the process of being a, a early pick. I mean, we're going to see it with Trevor Lawrence, uh, not necessarily with Justin Fields because the Bears are at least um, somewhat decent, but. Uh, Zach Wilson is going to go through it with the Jets, so uh, there's uh, there's always going to be some growing pains when you're drafted as a quarterback early, uh, because the, the organization is just not in a in a great spot. Uh, so I got, I do think that speaks to it. Uh, golf after a year, because 2016 was uh, his first season after that first rookie year, he he got into a better situation. They signed Andrew Whitworth, they brought in John Sullivan, Sean McVay was hired, Robert Woods came in, Cooper Cup. Um, a year later, um, or at that year in, in 2017, so uh, there was there was a lot to be excited about in that 2017 season and, and the buildup after Jared Goff's uh, rookie year. How much better do you think we're going to see this Rams offense be now? Well, like how much of a tier better? I think it's going to be significantly better. Yeah, um, I would I would be surprised if they're not top ten. Uh, obviously, the Cam Akers injury hurts, but. Uh, this is an offense that should be top 10, top 5 with all the playmakers that they have with the offensive line hopefully uh, being a little bit better this season. Um, it has all the explosiveness, the, the playmakers, and the defense to support them too. Like the, the defense is going to get them off the field. They're going to have short fields, so they're going to score points. Um, and Stafford just opens things up with, uh, with being able to, to throw the ball deep, which Jared Goff didn't do often. Now, when you look at this too, I think this is really interesting in the division, right? So the Niners, do you think do you think it's comparable to the situation that kind of maybe Kyle Shanahan is feeling the same way that McVay felt about golf? Because in the forty, you see the 49ers, and they draft a quarterback, you know, with a third overall pick, and they trap a lot of draft capital to get them. Yeah, yep, it's a similar situation that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Super Bowl just like Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, hasn't been the best quarterback. He's been decent when healthy, but he just doesn't, he can't stay healthy. Um, so I would imagine it leads to some frustration with Kyle Shanahan and knowing that um, maybe there's something better out there. Maybe if he gets a guy who he can mold and he can develop, the, the 49ers can take that next step and really win a Super Bowl. Um, so that's a good comparison. And, and I think Trey Lance is someone who's going to elevate that franchise for for years to come, whether it's this season or next that he becomes a starter. I don't know. But he's got a bright future, and especially in Shanahan's offense. I think these coaches, particularly as they get more and more power, I think, I think the, the, the hook is quick here. If you're not getting it done, like, you know, see you wouldn't want to be you. Yeah, and, and I mean, we're seeing with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, he went to a Super Bowl, golf went to a Super Bowl. Uh, Carson Wentz obviously wasn't part of those Super Bowl teams, but um, it's, I mean, if you're not if you're not producing consistently, and even if the team is having some success, uh, they're gonna they're gonna make a change, and teams aren't afraid to dump these contracts and move on uh, if it if it allows them to bring someone else in that's gonna have success. And when you do mention about Wentz, I mean, he was playing at an MVP level that one year. I think he had a couple other solid years. But when it goes off and they're like, you know, like, like, like what are you doing now? Like, like you said, like, they're, they're moving on. They're, they're finding a way to move contracts, trade picks, and everything. So with this with McVay, McVay, he trades picks for Stafford. 
he's he's done it for guys like Ramsey. It, it seems like you know he's he's decided to put a, a price on you know the star player instead of you know building through the draft. What do you think about that, and how sustainable is that? Yeah, that's that's part McVeigh and part Les Snead, um, the GM. It's it's an aggressive approach, and and these guys know the value that a proven veteran has in the NFL. And I mean, you look at it with the Jalen Ramsey trade. The Rams got Jalen Ramsey, and the Jaguars got Travis Etienne and Caleb on Chase on, uh, and I think some other mid round pick. Um, so who would you rather have in that situation, Ramsey or those two guys? Uh, it obviously. Obviously, looking back in hindsight, it's an easy decision to make, but um, <clears throat> the Rams know that Ramsey is going to be a, a shutdown corner. They know he's going to be a, a Pro Bowl-type player every year. You don't know what you're getting with draft picks sometimes, especially when you're in the Rams situation where you expect to be drafting late in the round, and uh, the 30th overall pick is not nearly as valuable as, say, the 5th overall pick, where the Rams don't plan to be drafting because they plan to win a lot of games. Um, so it's an aggressive approach. It kind of makes roster building a little bit more difficult because these veterans are so expensive. You have to give Jalen Ramsey a $100 million contract, whereas you're not giving a huge contract out to um, a first-round pick for four or five years. So it, it makes building the roster more difficult. But when you can have uh, Jalen Ramsey with an Aaron Donald, um, you can add a Brandon Cooks and a Marcus Peters and a Keith Talib who help you get to the Super Bowl. Uh, they feel it's worth making that trade. How do you feel about Sean McVay's no preseason policy? Not playing his players in the preseason. I, I like it. I don't. I don't see any problem with it. Um, I think it's the the risk of um, losing a key player to injury far outweighs the reward of possibly getting them a little bit more work and practice before the season begins. Um, it hasn't hurt the Rams in the last few years. Obviously, nobody last season had preseason uh, preseason games to work through. Uh, so I think the rest of the NFL kind of experienced what it's like to go through preseason with uh, or go through go into a season without any preseason action, and, and they realized that maybe it's not worth playing these veterans much um, at all, or or giving them any snaps in the preseason because guys are they're staying in shape and. Uh, they're learning the playbooks and and really just getting ready for the season very quickly. Um, so I don't see any problem with it. I would rather protect Matthew Stafford than get him, what, 10, 20 passes in a, in a meaningless preseason game when he can do that in practice anyway. So then I guess where I'm going now is that what's the point of having the preseason in general? Because, right, for these games, I mean, the NFL, I mean, these teams, they're still charging for people to, you know, for tickets, right, for food, like, you know, the, the TV deals, like, it's on TV, so what's the point of it if you're not going to play your best players, and I understand that from an organizational perspective, but then why does that want to make somebody pay their money to go to the game, or why would they want to watch it? Yeah, the, the preseason's all about these uh, these guys on the roster bubble, or uh, the guys that are a little bit further down on the depth, depth chart, either fighting for a roster spot, or, uh, or just trying to uh, jockey for a position on the depth chart and, and move up to possibly being a starter. Um, so it, it's more about those guys who are fighting to make it in the NFL. Uh, the undrafted rookies who are trying to prove themselves to the coaching staff. That's why it was so difficult last year for, for these undrafted rookies because they didn't have games to, to show their skills and, and what they can do. 
Um, so it came down to practice. Whereas when you have the preseason, they're getting live reps against other teams. They're hitting full speed. Um, they're they're tackling like they wouldn't in practice. So it's valuable for for the uh, for the veterans who are fighting for roster spots, for the undrafted rookies, for the late round picks. Uh, it, it's about those guys just trying to make a name for themselves. Sean McVay is a coach. When did you know that Sean McVay was special? Uh, probably in that first season. Um, just the way that the offense really took a step forward and the way that Jared Goff looked comfortable um, in the pocket and, and throwing the ball after a rookie season that was really difficult. Uh, the route concepts that he used and uh, just the way that he designed the offense. I could tell he had a, he had a, a knack for... Uh, getting guys open and, and really uh, elevating the play of, of his players. And I think they were first in the league in scoring and maybe yards that first year. So uh, after, I would say midway through that first season, I could tell he was legit. Uh, just the way that players respected him too and talked about how smart he was and how great of a coach he was. And uh, when you have guys buy into to a coach's plan and approach it's uh it's easy to play hard for them and um to to really put together a good season do you think were you hesitant at all when he first got hired because i remember people were talking about oh like this guy's super young that it turns out he's pretty good but at at first were you hesitant at all due to the age so that that was um a few months before i started covering the rams but i was still covering the nfl for uh for fox sports so I i was paying attention a little bit I was a little bit hesitant, yeah. I mean, you're hiring what, a 30-year-old coach who um, a good portion of his roster is going to be older than him. So how do you command a room? How do you command a locker room? How do you uh, motivate these guys? But uh, And especially the inexperience of, uh, of being a coach, just not exactly having that those years and years and years of being a, being a coordinator, being an assistant. Um, it, it made me a little bit skeptical, but obviously it's worked out extremely well for for the Rams and, and he was a great hire for them now in terms of McVay's coaching tree it's starting to get a little bit broad Brandon Staley was the defensive coordinator last year he's now a head coach how do you think he's going to do I think he'll have a good year in the, with the Chargers um, that's a really good situation for him he's got a lot of key defensive players that um, that he can work with Joey Bosa Derwin James Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, so there's a lot to like about the Chargers this season. Justin Herbert obviously is going to be the, the difference between them probably either making the playoffs or having another sub-500 year, but uh, that's an exciting team. I, I like the Chargers a lot, and I think Staley's going to do a good job there. Well, was it like widely considered that, that you know during that year, I think the Rams had the number one defense in the NFL, that, Brandon, that this is probably going to be Brandon's last year? Do people think maybe he would stay for another year? So throughout the year, there was, I mean, there wasn't that much talk about him becoming a head coach right away. It was really towards the end when uh, they were shutting teams down consistently and, and really um, finished with the number one defense where it was like, hey, maybe this guy could be a head coach right away. Uh, that's not a jump that you see very often going from an outside linebackers coach to coordinator to head coach in the span of two years. Um, but he obviously showed a lot and, and he was – clearly impressive in the interviews and, and he deserved a, a head coaching job. So another guy out of McVay's coaching tree, Zach Taylor. Now, it hasn't been as good for Zach. Why do you think the reasons are that Zach hasn't maybe had the success? 
it's, I don't I don't necessarily think it's him alone. Uh, the Bengals just haven't had um, that much talent, and now they're transitioning to Joe Burrow, and hopefully he can uh, turn into what they expected him to be with uh, being the number one overall pick and um, being their franchise quarterback. And I think if Taylor and Burrow become um, kind of similar to what Goff and McVay were, and uh, obviously that didn't end well, but um, in the beginning, at least, if they can kind of work in tandem and, and really develop a chemistry and, and, and get this thing going, I think Taylor can have some success. Do you think that, uh, you know, obviously people are always going to get picked, you know, for a base coach step because the team's good. Uh, and obviously he's probably giving some really good tutelage to those guys. But when you look at, like, offensive corners, like, McVay's calling the plays. So how do you think you kind of, you know, toe that fine line of knowing, okay, we're getting this OC to be our head coach, maybe he wants to call the plays, but he actually wasn't the one that was making the offense go. Yeah, that's a big part of it, too. Um, clearly, these teams don't seem to mind that because the Seahawks hired Shane Walter and he wasn't calling the plays. They hired Matt LaFleur and, uh, and Zach Taylor. They weren't calling the plays. Staley's a little different because he was on defense, but um, it's, uh, it, it's something that obviously they take into account and um, I think we'll see it with Kevin O'Connell this this coming off season. If he gets a look, um, he was calling plays in the preseason. He's your offensive coordinator, but he's not calling the plays. So um, it, it's a it's a balance of trusting a guy that he can either call the plays well or find his own coordinator who's going to do it. Um, but it's uh, it's part of it because obviously, like you said, McVeigh is the one who's calling who's calling the plays. And you mentioned uh, Kevin. So, who do you do you think is he the guy that you think that we could potentially be hearing buzz about from McVay staff that could potentially be at coach? Do you think there's any other names? Yeah, him and uh, and Thomas Brown, the running backs coach, are are two guys that McVay has really talked highly about and uh, talked about how they could be future head coaches and promotions and, and things like that. Uh, Raheem Morris might get another crack. He's the defensive coordinator this year if the defense has a good season. Um, he could get another, another crack at being a head coach after he was the interim coach of the Falcons. Uh, so those are a few guys I would look at. In terms of the NFC West, toughest division in football. I don't think many people would disagree with that. Where would you put the Niners, and how would you tier that division? Uh, it's a, Like you said, it's a tough division because there's so much talent. Uh, I think the Rams are probably the favorites with the 49ers close behind. The Seahawks, I just I don't trust. Um, I don't trust fully. Uh, Chris Carson is a good running back. Russell Wilson is going to be the difference between um, them being a bad team and them being a good team because he consistently elevates them. And without him, they're probably a sub five hundred team. Um, but and then I, I would probably put them close with the Cardinals. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if all four competing for a playoff spot at the end of the year. They're all just so talented. They all have. Uh, quality quarterbacks, uh, even the 49ers, whether it's Garoppolo or Lance, I think that's a, a decent quarterback situation. Uh, so that's probably the order I would put it. Where would you put the Rams in terms of just the NFC as a whole? Um, I would put them right up there with the Packers and Bucks. Um, I think those are the top three teams in the NFC. Um, I could see the Rams going. 12 and 5, 13 and 4. I think 11 and 6, 10 and 5 should be their floor. I don't think they should go any worse than that. That would be a huge uh, disappointment for them, but I would put them right up there with the Bucks and Packers. 
after the Rams Super Bowl year, uh, they don't make the playoffs, I believe, right? They didn't make the playoffs after their Super yep, Bowl year. Yep, yeah, that was nine and seven. Uh, what do you attribute that slump to? I, I think part of it was the uh, the regression of Jared Goff. The offensive line took a major step back in 2019 too. Um, the defense wasn't terrible, but it, it kind of went through changes with Talib and uh, and Peters getting traded, and then Ramsey obviously coming in. So there were a lot of moving parts, and Goff just struggled more than anyone expected him to after that 2018 season. Um, so the offense just took a step back, and defense wasn't dominant enough to carry them, and uh, that's kind of where they ended up. And lastly, I want to ask you this. So, Jalen Ramsey, Keith Tlaib, and Marcus Peters have all three played for the Rams. What's the funniest thing you've heard each of those guys say? Oh, man. Uh, Ramsey talking about uh, his matchup with Hunter Renfro just last week was pretty funny. Talking about he, he watched the film twice and he couldn't find the plays where Renfro burned him. Uh, but one that sticks out, of course, is, is Marcus Peters when he said, I think we ain't done yet. Uh, he was getting asked about the, the playoffs and uh, how the Rams are preparing and, and, and things like that. And he said, I think we ain't done yet. And he, he got asked again and he repeated it. Uh, so that, that's that's one that stuck out. I mean, those guys are all hilarious and great personalities. And Tlaib? Tlaib, oh, man, I can't think of one specifically right now. He's, he's doing a great job on the, on the Rams broadcast in the preseason, but can't think of one specific quote that stuck out with him. I love Akeem. Akeem is funny, too. They're all very Yeah, he is, he is. He, he has a great podcast, too. He had Ramsey on, and those guys are chopping it up. And, uh, it was a great conversation listening to him. Well, Cameron, I want to thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was a good time. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 324th episode of Barbershop Sports Star.